0: Chapter fourteen of Fair Margaret. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ruhi Huck. Fair Margaret by H. R. Haggard. Chapter fourteen Ines and Her Garden. For two hours or more, John Castell and Peter travelled on the Granada Road running when it was smooth, walking when it was rough, and stopping from time to time to get their breath and listen. But the night was quite silent. No one seemed to be pursuing them. Evidently, the remaining cutthroats had either taken another way, or, having their fill of this adventure, wanted to see no more of Peter and his sword. At length the dawn broke over the great misty plain, for now they were crossing the Vega then the sun rose and dispelled the vapours and a dozen miles or more away they saw granada on its hill they saw each other also and a sorry sight they were torn by the sharp thorns and stained with blood from their scratches peter was bareheaded too for he had lost his cap and almost beside himself now that the excitement had left him from lack of sleep pain and weariness moreover as the sun rose it grew fearfully hot upon that plain and its fierce rays striking full upon his head seemed to stupefy him so that at last they were obliged to halt and weave a kind of hat out of corn and grasses which gave him so strange an appearance that some moors whom they met going on their toil thought that he must be a madman and ran away since they crawled forward, refreshing themselves with water wherever they could find any in the irrigation ditches that these people used for their crops, but covering little more than a mile an hour. Towards noon the heat grew so dreadful that they were obliged to lie down to rest under the shade of some palm-like trees, and here, absolutely outworn, they sank into a kind of sleep they were awakened by a sound of voices and staggered to their feet drawing their swords for they thought that the thieves from the inn had overtaken them instead of these ruffianly murderers however they saw before them a body of eight moors beautifully mounted upon white horses and clad in turbans and flowing robes the like of which peter had never yet beheld who sat there regarding them gravely with their quiet eyes and as it seemed "'Not without pity. "'Put up your swords, senores," said the leader of these moors in excellent Spanish. "'Indeed, he seemed to be a Spaniard dressed in eastern garments, "'for we are many and fresh, and you are but two and wounded.' "'They obeyed. Who could do nothing else?' "'Now tell us, though there is a little need to ask,' went on the captain, "'you are those men of England who boarded the San Antonio "'and escaped when she was sinking, are you not?' Castle nodded, then answered, We boarded her to seek. Never mind what you sought, the captain answered. The names of exalted ladies should not be mentioned before strange men. But you have been in trouble again since then at the inn yonder, where the stole signor bore himself very bravely. Oh, we have heard all the story, and give him honour who can wield a sword so well in the dark. We thank you, said Castell. but what is your business with us? Signor, we are sent by our master, his excellency, the high lord, and marquis of Morella, to find you and bring you to be his guests at Granada. So the priest has told, I thought as much, muttered Peter. We pray you to come without trouble, as we do not wish to do any violence to such gallant men," went on the captain. "'Be pleased to mount two of these horses and ride with us.' "'I am a merchant with friends of my own at Granada,' answered Castel. "'Cannot we go to them who do not seek the hospitality of the Marquis?' "'Señor, our orders are otherwise, "'and here the word of our master, the Marquis, "'is a law that may not be broken.' "'I thought that Boabdil was king of Granada,' said Castel. "'Without doubt he is king, señor,' and by the grace of Allah will remain so. But the marquis is allied to him in blood. Also, while the truce lasts, he is a representative of their majesties of Spain in our city, and, at a sign, two of the moors dismounted and led forward their horses, holding the stirrups and offering to help them to the saddle. "'There is nothing for it,' said Peter. "'We must go.' "'So awkwardly enough?' for they were very stiff they climbed on to the beasts and rode away with their captors the sun was sinking now for they had slept long and by the time they reached the gates of granada the muezzins were calling to the sunset prayer from the minarets of the mosques it was but a very dim and confused idea that peter gathered of the great city of the moors as surrounded by their white-robed escort he rode he knew not whither narrow winding streets white houses shuttered windows crowds of courteous somewhat silent people all men and all clad in some strange flowing dresses who looked at them curiously and murmured words which afterwards he came to learn meant christian prisoners or sometimes christian dogs fretted and pointed arches and a vast fairy-like building set upon a hill he was dazed with pain and fatigue. As, as a long-legged and blood-stained figure, crowned with his crowned with his quaint hat of brasses, he rode through that wondrous and imperial place. Yet no man laughed at him, absurd as he must have seemed. But perhaps this was because, under the grotesqueness of his appearance, they recognised something of his quality or they might have heard rumors of his sword-play at the inn and on the ship at any rate their attitude was that of courteous dislike of the christian mingled with respect for the brave man in misfortune at length after mounting a long rise they came to a palace on a mount facing the vast red-walled fortress which seemed to dominate the place which he afterward knew as the alhambra but separated from it by a valley. This palace was a very great building, set on three sides of a square and surrounded by gardens, wherein tall cypress trees pointed to the tender sky. They rode through the gardens and sundry gateways till they came to a courtyard, where servants with torches in their hands ran out to meet them. Somebody helped him off his horse, somebody supported him up a flight of marble steps, beneath which a fountain splashed into a great cool room with an ornamented roof. Then Peter remembered no more. A time went by, a long, long time. In fact, it was nearly a month before Peter really opened his eyes to the world again. Not that he had been insensible for all this while, that is quite, for at intervals he had become aware of that large cool room and of people talking about him, especially of a dark-eyed, light-footed and pretty woman with a white wimple round her face, who appeared to be in charge of him. Occasionally he thought this must be Margaret, and yet knew that it could not, for she was different. Also, he remembered that once or twice he had seemed to see the haughty, handsome face of Morella bending over him, as though he watched curiously to learn whether he would live or not, and then had striven to rise to fight him, and been pressed back by the soft white hands of the woman that yet were so terribly strong. Now, when he awoke at last, it was to see her sitting there with a ray of sunlight from some upper window, falling on her face, sitting with her chin resting on her hand and her elbow on her knee, and contemplating him with a pretty puzzled look. She made a sweet picture thus, he thought, then he spoke to her in his slow Spanish, for somehow he knew that she could not understand his own tongue. "'You are not Margaret,' he said. At once the dream went out of the woman's soft eyes. She became intensely interested, and rising advanced towards him a very gracious figure, who seemed to sway as she walked. "'No, no,' she said, bending over him and touching his forehead with her taper fingers. "'My name is Inez. You wander still, senor.' Inez, what he asked. Inez, only she answered. Inez, a woman of Granada. The rest is lost. Inez, the nurse of sick men, senor. Where then is Margaret, the English Margaret? A veil of secrecy seemed to fall over the woman's face, and her voice changed as she answered, no longer ringing true, or so it struck his senses, made quick and subtle by the fires of fever. I know no English Margaret. "'Do you then love her, this English Margaret?' "'Aye,' he answered. "'She was stolen from me. "'I have followed her from far and suffered much. "'Is she dead or living?' "'I have told you, Signor. "'I know nothing, although, and again the voice became natural. "'It is true that I thought you loved somebody from your talk and your illness.' "'Peter pondered a while. "'Then he began to remember and asked again, "'Where is Castell?' "'Castell!' Was he your companion, the man with the hurt arm who looked like a Jew? I do not know where he is. In another part of the city, perhaps. I think he was sent to his friends. Question me not of such matters. Who am but your sickness? You have been very ill, signor. Look. And she handed him a little mirror made of polished silver. Then, seeing that he was too weak to take it, held it before him. Peter saw his face and groaned, for except the red scar upon his cheek, it was ivory-white and wasted to nothing. "'I am glad Margaret did not see me like this,' he said with an attempt at a smile. "'Bearded, too. And what a beard! Lady, how could you have nursed one so hideous?' "'I have not found you hideous,' she answered softly. "'Besides, that is my trade. But you must not talk. You must rest. Drink this and rest.' and she gave him soup in a silver bowl, which he swallowed readily enough, and went to sleep again. Some days afterwards, when Peter was well on the road to convalescence, his beautiful nurse came and sat by him, a look of pity in her tender eastern eyes. What is it now, Inez? he asked, noting her changed face. Signor Pedro, you spoke to me a while ago when you woke up from your long sleep of a certain Margaret, did you not? Well, I have been inquiring of this Donna Margaret and have no good news to tell of her. Peter set his teeth and said, Go on, tell me the worst. This Margaret was travelling with the Marquis of Morella, was she not? She had been stolen by him, answered Peter. Alas, it may be so. But here in Spain, and especially here in Granada, that will scarcely screen the name of one who has been known to travel with the Marquis of Morella. So much the worse for the Marquis of Morella, when I meet him again, answered Peter sternly. What is your story, nurse Inez? She looked with interest at his grim thin face, but as it seemed to him, with no displeasure. A sad one, as I have told you, a sad one. It seems that the other day this signora was found dead at the foot of the tallest tower of the Marquis's palace, though whether she fell from it or was thrown from it, none know peter gasped and was silent for a while then asked did you see her dead no seor others saw her and told you to tell me nurse inez i do not believe your tale if the donna margaret my betrothed were dead i should know it but my heart tells me that she is alive you have great faith senor, said the woman with a note of admiration in her voice which she could not suppress but as he observed without contradicting him i have faith he answered nothing is left but so far it has been a good crutch peter made no further allusion to the subject only presently he asked tell me where am i in a prison Signor? oh a prison with a beautiful woman for jailer and other beautiful women and he pointed to a fair creature who had brought him something into the room as servants a fine prison also and he looked about him at the marbles and arches "'and lovely carving. "'There are men without the gate, not women,' she replied, smiling. "'I dare say. "'Captives can be tied with ropes of silk, can they not? "'Well, whose is this prison?' "'She shook her head. "'I do not know, Signor. "'The Moorish kings, perhaps. "'You yourself have said that I am only the jailer. "'Then, who pays you? "'Perhaps I am not paid, Signor. "'Perhaps I work for love.' and she glanced at him swiftly, or hate, and her face changed. "'Not hate of me, I think,' said Peter. "'No, senor, not hate of you. Why should I hate you who have been so helpless and so courteous to me?' And she bent the knee to him a little. "'Why, indeed, specially as I am grateful to you who have nursed me back to life. But then, why hide the truth from a helpless man?' Inez glanced about her. The room was empty now. She bent over him and whispered, Have you never been forced to hide the truth? No, I read it in your face, and you are not a woman, an erring woman. They looked into each other's eyes a while, and Peter asked, Is the Donna Margaret really dead? I do not know, she answered. I was told so. And as though she feared lest she should betray herself, Inez turned, and left him quickly. The days went by, and through the slow degrees of convalescence Peter grew strong again, but they brought him no added knowledge. He did not know where he dwelt, or why he was there. All he knew was that he lived a prisoner in a sumptuous palace, or as he suspected, for of this he could not be sure, since the arched windows of one side of the building were walled up in the wing of a palace. Nobody came near to him except the fair Inez, and a moor who either was deaf or could understand nothing that he said to him in spanish there were other women about it is true very pretty women all of them who acted as servants but none of these were allowed to approach him he only saw them at a distance therefore inez was his sole companion and with her he grew very intimate to a certain extent but no further on the occasion that has been described, she had lifted a corner of her veil which hid her true self, but a long while passed before she enlarged her confidence. The veil was kept down very close indeed. Day by day he questioned her, and day by day, without the slightest show of irritation or even annoyance, she parried his questions. They knew perfectly well that they were matching their wits against each other. But as yet, Inez had the best of the game, which indeed she seemed to enjoy he would talk to her also of all sorts of things the state of spain the moorish court the danger that threatened granada whereof the great siege now drew near and so forth and of these matters she would discourse most intelligently with the result that he had learned much of the state of politics in castile and granada and greatly improved his knowledge of the spanish tongue but when of a sudden as he did again and again he sprang some question on her about morella or margaret or john castell that same subtle change would come over her face and the same silence would see in her lips signor she said to him one day with a laugh you ask me of secrets which i might reveal to you perhaps if you were my husband or my love but which you cannot expect a nurse whose life hangs on it to answer not that i wish you to become my husband or my lover she added with a little nervous laugh peter looked at her with his grave eyes i know that you do not wish that he said for how could i attract one so gay and beautiful as you are uh, you seem to attract the english margaret she replied quickly in a nettled voice to have attracted you mean as you tell me that she is dead he answered and seeing her mistake inez bit her lip but he went on i was going to add though it may have no value for you that you have attracted me as your true friend friend she said opening her large eyes what talk is this can the woman in inez find a friend in a man who is under sixty it would appear so he answered and again with that graceful little courtesy of hers she went away leaving him very puzzled two days later she appeared in his room evidently much disturbed I thought that you had left me altogether, and I am glad to see you, for I tire of that deaf moor and of this fine room. I want fresh air. I know it, she answered. So I have come to take you to walk in a garden. He leapt for joy at her words, and snatching his sword, which had been left to him, buckled it on. You will not need that, she said. I thought that I should not need it in yonder inn, but I did, he answered, whereat she laughed then turned put her hand upon his shoulder and spoke to him earnestly see friend she whispered you want to walk in the fresh air do you not and to learn certain things and i wish to tell you them but i dare not do it here where we may at any moment be surrounded by spies for these walls have ears indeed well when we walk in that garden would it be too great a penance for you to put your arm about my waist you "'who still need support?' "'No penance at all, I assure you,' "'answered Peter, with something like a smile, "'for after all he was a man and young, "'while the waist of Inez was as pretty "'as all the rest of her. "'But,' he added, "'it might be misunderstood. "'Quite so. "'I wish it to be misunderstood, "'not by me, "'who know that you care nothing for me "'and would as soon place your arm "'round that marble column.' peter opened his eyes to speak but she stopped him at once oh do not waste falsehoods on me in which of a truth you have no art she said with evident irritation why if you had the money you would offer to pay me for my nursing and who knows i might take it understand you must either do this seeming to play the lover to me or we cannot walk together in that garden peter hesitated a little guessing a plot while she bent forward till her lips almost touched his ear and said in a still lower voice and i cannot tell you now perhaps i say perhaps you may come to see the remains of the donna margaret and certain other matters ah she added after a pause and with a bitter laugh now you will kiss me from one end of the garden to the other will you not foolish man doubt no more take your chance it may be the last of what kissing you or the other things that you will find out she said with a shrug of her shoulders come then while he followed dubiously she led him down the length of the great room to a door with a spy hole in the top of it that was set in a moorish archway at the corner this door she opened and there beyond it a drawn schemata in his hands stood a tall moor on guard Ines spoke a word to him, whereon he saluted with his scimitar, and let them pass across the landing to a turret stair that lay beyond, which they descended. At its foot was another door, whereon she knocked four times. Bolts shot back, keys turned, and it was opened by a black porter, beyond whom stood a second moor, also with drawn sword. They passed him as they passed the first, turned down a little passage to the right, ending in some steps, and came to a third door, in front of which she halted. "'Now,' she said, "'nerve yourself for the trial.' "'Trial?' he asked, supporting himself against the wall, for he found his legs still weak. "'This,' she answered, pointing to her waist. "'And these?' "'She touched her rich red lips with her taper finger-points. "'Would you like to practice a little, my innocent English knight, before we go out?' You look as though you might seem awkward and unconvincing. I think, answered Peter dryly, for the humour of the situation moved him, that such practice is somewhat dangerous for me. It might annoy you before I had done. I will postpone my happiness until we are in the garden. I thought so, she answered. But look now, you must play the part, or I shall suffer, who am bearing much for you. I think that I may suffer also, he murmured but not so low that she did not catch his words no friend pedro she said turning on him it is the woman who suffers in this kind of farce she pays the man rides away to play another and without more ado she opened the door which proved to be unlocked and unguarded beyond the foot of some steps lay a most lovely garden great tapering cypresses grew about it with many orange trees and flowering shrubs that filled the soft southern air with odours. Also there were marble fountains, into which water splashed from the mouths of carbon lions, and here and there arbours with stone seats, whereon were laid soft cushions of many colours. It was a veritable place of eastern delight and dreams, such as Peter had never known before he looked upon it on that languorous eve he who had not seen the sky of flowers for so many weary weeks of sickness it was secluded also being surrounded by a high wall but at one place the tall windowless tower of some other building of redstone soared up between and beyond two lofty cypress trees this is the harem garden inez whispered where many a painted favourite has flitted for a few happy summer hours till winter came and the butterfly was broken and as she spoke she dropped her veil over her face and began to descend the stairs End of chapter fourteen